Uh, good evening. Exodus chapter 7 tonight. We begin a seven-chapter part of the book of Exodus that deals with the plagues that God pours out on Egypt. And you know, when you come to a portion of Scripture like this, you know, I'm always asking the Lord, Lord, give me something applicable for us. You know, we're not the Israelites enslaved in Egypt. We're not being enslaved by Egyptians. We're not suffering the plagues or seeing, you know, God pour plagues down on all of this. So how can we take what happened thousands of years ago and how can we apply this to our Christian life today? And so I hope to just hit some highlights over these next seven weeks as we go through what I call the plague narrative in the book of Exodus. And tonight, we begin by looking at the Lord's plan and plagues. And one of the things that we are seeing here in this chapter is that we know that Moses and Aaron have had some setbacks, right? As they have begun to follow the Lord's calling in their life. And these setbacks have really rocked them. And God comes along and he's wanting to reassure Moses and Aaron. He wants them to realize, look, you may be panicking, but I as God am sure and steady. And the outcome of all this with Egypt and Pharaoh is not in doubt because I'm in control. And I want us then to apply that principle to our own lives. We may not know the future. We may have suffered some setbacks lately in our life. But God is not up there in heaven wringing his hands, panicking, worrying about how all this is going to, you know, come out in our lives or in other people's lives around us. He's got this, and he's got us. And the outcome is not in doubt, and he is in control. So beginning in chapter 7, verse 1, God gives Moses a preview, if you will, of coming attractions. He does what he does sometimes with us. He keeps giving us his word he keeps speaking into our life to reassure us. He keeps telling us about what he's going to do in order to strengthen us. So I want you to first notice this phrase that you find throughout this chapter, and we're going to see it for many chapters to come. In verse 1, the very first phrase, the Lord said to Moses. Look at the beginning of verse 8. The Lord said said to Moses, the beginning of verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, the beginning of verse 19, the Lord said to Moses. God encourages his people by giving us his word, by speaking into our life and us being able to hear his voice. God wants you to hear his voice tonight. God wants you to be on a path where you are listening for his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. 
make sure that we are always dialed in to the voice of God and that we are always hearing him speak into our lives. This is what he did with Moses, and this is what he does with us. And that's why it's so important as God's people, whether it's in the Old Testament era or the New Testament era, that we are listening for the voice of God because God wants to speak into our lives. And by speaking into our lives, he can strengthen us. He can reassure us. He can give us courage and boldness and confidence and courage, just like he's giving Moses and Aaron here. In fact, I want you to see another phrase that's repeated a couple times in this passage of Scripture that's tied into the Word of God, if you will, and God speaking. Notice the very end of verse 13, and you're going to see this phrase a lot in the weeks to come. Just as the Lord had predicted, chapter 7, verse 13. And then if you go over to the end of verse 22, you'll see that phrase repeated again. Just as the Lord predicted. We're going to see that phrase in chapter 8. If you look ahead to chapter 8, verse 15, the end of verse 15 of chapter 8, just as the Lord had predicted over and over again. Why do we see this? Because again, God is speaking to Moses. God is saying, this is what's happening or this is what's going to happen. And then it falls out exactly like God said so that Moses and Aaron can be encouraged that our God really knows what he's doing. And he really knows what's going to happen before it happens. And he's told us these things, and now we see it happening right before our eyes. We see God's will and God's word unfolding before our eyes. It should give us strength and courage and comfort. And the same thing is true today. We are living in a time where we have already seen down through history, so much of the prophecies of God already fulfilled. I mean, we're coming up to the Christmas season, and you think about all the biblical prophecies surrounding the birth of Christ, and they all came to pass just as God predicted. And if we just had nothing but what God has already predicted in his word, and, and we've seen these things come to pass throughout history, it should give us confidence and hope and comfort and all of that, that our God really does have all this in control, and we can trust him and be assured in him because everything that God said happens just as he predicted. And then that concept then even helps us to look into the future and live in hope because then we can start to think about all the things that God has promised that's not yet happened. And yet knowing, as we just sung about tonight, how faithful God is and trustworthy and dependable and reliable he is, and that everything that God has promised us that will happen is going to happen just as he predicted, you see. So the word of God is huge here in Moses' life and ministry and in our life and ministry. Being open to the voice of God and to the direction of God and to the leading of God and then reminding ourselves 
of what God has already promised and then seeing it already fulfilled and then reminding ourselves about the things God says as yet to come and being encouraged by that, knowing that if God said all this happened and it happened just as he predicted, then that means everything that God has promised me is going to happen just as it's predicted. You see? And so that's where God starts, but that's not where God finishes. If you go back to chapter 7, verse 1, notice this. The Lord says to Moses, verse 1, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Now, we sort of talked about this in the sense that God is going to speak directly to Moses, Moses is going to pass it on to Aaron, and then Aaron many times is going to be the mouthpiece to Pharaoh, sort of the chain of command, if you will. But God is saying something else here. This is a very important phrase in the book of Exodus, and it has application to you and I. He says, I'm going to make you, Moses, like God to Pharaoh. Now, it doesn't mean that Moses becomes a god. What it means is that you will be my representation to Pharaoh. You will be my image bearer of the invisible God. Pharaoh cannot see me, but he will see me through you. As you come to Pharaoh and stand before him in my power, in my authority, in the faith that you have in me, you will be my image bearer to him. That's really important. You know why? Because God always intended for us as human beings, every one of us, not just Moses, to be the image bearer of the invisible God. You go all the way back to the very beginning of time and the creation story. He created us in what? His image. His image. And yet, when sin came in, it marred the image of God so that as human beings, we cannot express the image of God as clearly, as consistently, as confidently as we should. But that's why then Jesus came, to make us new creations. And though even as Christians, we cannot be the image bear bearers of God perfectly to others, Yet they can, as we walk with God, they can see God through us, you see. We are his image bearers. They are to be able to see him through us. As we stand before others, God wants to make us like him, you see, just as he did to Moses. What an incredible concept, and obviously, this would have blown Moses' mind, being in the ear that he was in. And you and I, even, it blows our minds, but, but at least we can wrap our minds a little bit more around it because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit living literally within us. So we have God living inside us. We are the temple of the living God. Therefore, we house God inside of us as Christians at all times, and we just need to let God be seen who already lives here. You see, the image bearer of the invisible God. When you wake up every day 
I want you to wake up knowing that you have great purpose every day in your life because whoever you come in contact with, you can be the image bearer of the invisible God to them. Guess what? God is giving us this tremendous privilege and honor and opportunity to be able to show him to others. Wow, that's incredible. And that's exactly what God's plan was for Moses. You will be made like God to Pharaoh. Notice verse 2, you are to speak everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh that he must release the Israelites from this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And although I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. I will have to reach into Egypt and bring out my regiments, my armies in full battle array, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment because every plague was also a judicial act of God upon the Egyptians and upon Pharaoh. Now, we're going to come back to this whole concept of God hardening Pharaoh's heart at the very end. I want to talk about the heart last tonight. So we'll come back to that because that's an important thing we need to talk about tonight. But I want to move on. Notice he says in verse 5, Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I extend my hand over Egypt and bring the Israelites out from among them. This is always the purpose of God that people might know him, become more thoroughly acquainted with him by experience. And guess what? Some of these Egyptians, based upon what they experience through even these plagues, some of them are going to come to a saving knowledge of God. They're going to become believers in Yahweh. You see, they're not just going to know more about the God of the Hebrews. They're actually going to put their faith in the God of the Hebrews. Even to this day, there is a great Christian remnant in the country of Egypt. There's a great number of Christians in the country of Egypt. That just didn't happen. That seed or those seeds were planted even in Moses' time. With, with people in Egypt coming to know Jehovah. And, and God is also not just going to do what he's doing to the Egyptians so that they might know. All of these signs and wonders and plagues are also to be a sign to his own people so that they come to know him in a greater way. Wow, look what our God does. Look, look at what our God can do. So don't think of these plagues that we're going to begin to talk about, that somehow this was just a message to the Egyptians. No, this was also a message to God's people. Every time God does something with a group of people in the world or even worldwide, God has something to say to everybody, including his own people. He wants his own people to gain a greater knowledge of him through what we experience in this world. And I want us to think about that, especially in light of what's happened in the last couple of years in our world. What's happening isn't just to be a message to those that don't know God. 
or to a certain group or to a certain nation. If you and I are walking with God and we are hearing the voice of God, then the things that we are going through as human beings right now upon this earth also are to be growing us and our understanding and knowledge of God as well as to who he is and how he operates, just as he did in Moses' day. Verse 6, And Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. It's always good to be obedient and follow the commands of the Lord. I love this too. Verse 7 points out how old these two men were, which reminds us that age is not a factor in serving the Lord. It doesn't matter how old one is. It doesn't matter how young one is. These two men remind me of like Caleb, you know. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can still serve the Lord. And it doesn't matter how young you are. Paul told Timothy, let no one despise your youthfulness. So whether you're young or whether you're old, it has nothing to do with our service in ministry. The only factor is our faith in God. That's it. If you're putting your faith in God, God can do amazing things through you no matter whether you're young or whether you're old. Do not limit God by your age or your experience with him. Verse 8. Moses and Aaron confront Pharaoh with God's power. When Pharaoh says to you, God says, do a miracle, you say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. Notice God is saying as he's speaking to Moses, he's guiding him and leading him even in, this is what I want you to do. It's not like Moses is going into Pharaoh going, God, what do I say? What do I do? God is basically giving him blow by blow this is what you do. So Moses has clear direction from God as to how he's to operate with Pharaoh. That's the way God is. That's why God gives us his spirit. That's why God gives us his word. He wants his people to live in confidence of what is the next step, God, you want me to take. Not to be out there groping, thinking, what? no, that we get direction from God. This is the way God wants me to walk. And this is the next step that God wants me to take. And we do it under the direction of God. Now, why the snake? Well, the snake was symbolic for two reasons. One, it was symbolic of Egyptian power. They worshiped the snake. In fact, the pharaoh on his headpiece, at the very middle of his headpiece, had a cobra. They worshiped the snake. So there was something there. And then think about all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. It also symbolizes the satanic power. Because what's going on in Exodus is something you and I need to be reminded of. This isn't just Moses against Pharaoh or God against the Egyptian gods. This is God against Satan. This is a spiritual battle. This isn't just a battle that can be seen, even in the plagues and all of that. There is a spiritual battle that's taking place behind the scenes of what's taking place in Egypt. And the same thing is true in our life. When we are in those battles at times in our life, in our day, in our week, in our month and year, they're not just physical battles. As Paul said, we don't just wrestle against flesh and blood. 
We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. There's always spiritual entities behind the battles that we are engaged in, just as they were in Moses' day. When Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, verse 10, they did so just as the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a snake. Ah, oh, but notice this. Then Pharaoh also summoned wise men and sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt by their secret arts did the same thing. Each man threw down his staff and the staffs became snakes. I want us to be reminded of something here. Satan has great power. This counterfeit power is very real and very powerful. There is no doubt that through the occult and through what they did, they turned their staffs into snakes as well. That's very clear in the text. Ah, but that counterfeit power is no match for God. And that's what God wants his people to see today. Yes, we have a power against us that we need to be aware of that we need to be vigilant with. But we never need to fear that power. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And the power that we have through God is always greater than any power that comes against us, as we learned Sunday. Jesus has the greatest power and authority in the universe, and there is no one or nothing greater than him. But we must respect have a healthy respect for that power and realize that it's real. It's real. And the world today is blind to the reality of that power being what it really is. They don't understand what they're playing around with, you see. So each man threw down their staff and the staffs became snakes. Oh, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. Now, not only is this basically saying, hey, in the end, God was greater, but I believe that this is also a snapshot, if you will, of the drama that is going to unfold and the final victory that God is going to win a little bit later on. The reason I say that is keep your finger there in Exodus 7, 12 and go over for just a second to Exodus 15, verse 12. In the description of God destroying the armies of Egypt that chase after Moses and the Israelites, the same word is used in verse 12. You stretched out your right hand, and the earth did what? Swallow them. Same word swallow that is used of the God's snake that swallows the staff of the two snakes that the magicians and sorcerers and all that conjured up back in Exodus chapter 7. Yet, verse 13 of chapter 7, if you go back there now, Pharaoh's heart became hard and he did not listen to them just as the Lord predicted. Let's move on. We'll come back to that. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. 
he refuses to release the people. So go to Pharaoh in the morning, and when he goes out to the water, position yourself to meet him by the edge of the Nile, and take in your hand the staff that was turned into a snake, and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you to say, release my people that they may serve me in the desert. But until now, you may not have listened. Thus says the Lord, by this you will know that I am the Lord. I am going to strike the water of the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned to blood. Fish in the Nile will die. The Nile will stink. The Egyptians will be unable to drink water from the Nile. Now, as we begin to look at these plagues, one of the things that we are seeing is that God is saying to Pharaoh, and to the Egyptians. Your gods are not in control of creation. I'm in control of creation. And all of creation is at my disposal. And I can do with it whatever I want. It is at my bidding because I'm its creator. And whether it's inanimate creation like a river, or whether it's Animate creation like the animal kingdom, as we're going to see with the, the plague of the frogs and the gnats and the flies and all of that, God can call upon anything in creation to serve him and his purposes. Why? Because he is called the Lord of hosts. And again, that phrase doesn't just mean he commands the armies of heaven. It means he commands anything and everything in the universe that he created. Anything and everything in God's universe is at his disposal whenever he wants it. And the same thing is true today. God can use his creation to gain people's attention. He did it in Moses' day, and he does it today. You see, he uses creation to bring glory to him. And, and we also need to be reminded of something Paul said about creation in the book of Romans. That ever since the fall, creation is also groaning. And Paul says creation is literally waiting for the day of its redemption because it is under the curse. And things in creation don't operate the way God intended for them to operate back when he first created it. Now, one day it will be. But now, not so much. Especially when it comes to mankind being able to rule capably over the creation that God has made. So keep that in the back of your mind in these next few weeks as we go through all these plagues. As God brings these things about, sometimes he warns Pharaoh that it's coming, sometimes that he doesn't. Sometimes he uses something that's already there, sometimes he doesn't. Again, God is just showing, I can do whatever I want. Do not put me in a box. I'm God. I can work different ways at different times. I can work one day one day, and I can work another way the very next day. Let me be God over all that I have created. So the Lord said, verse 19 to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over Egypt's waters. And now don't miss this. We're going to see this really in the next couple of chapters, but it's hinted at here. Notice the word there, over their rivers, over their canals, over their ponds, and over their reservoirs. 
God is going to make a distinction between Egypt and the land that his own people occupied there in Egypt. And miraculously, these plagues are going to fall on just the Egyptians and on their land or their livestock and, and affect them, but not affect the Israelites at all. Again, assigned to the Egyptians, but also assigned to God's people. That God can make the distinction and that God can see the difference. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of their temptations and how to reserve the unrighteous for the day of judgment, Peter says. There will be blood everywhere in the land of Egypt. Verse 19, even in the wooden and stone containers. Why does Moses mention this later on? Because these containers were the containers that their idols were washed in. Now think about that. God is saying, even as you try to wash these idols that you worship, they're going to be soaked with blood too. You're not going to be able to escape this plague. Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. And so the Nile was struck and became blood. Why the Nile River? I want to give you four things about the Nile River that makes it significant here and why it sort of stands at the beginning of the plagues. First of all, there is a parallelism between the plague and the death of the Egyptian army in the Red Sea that we talked about in chapter 15. God started with water. He's going to end his judgments with water. The plague on the Nile also should also be connected to chapter 1. What was the vehicle that Pharaoh used to try to kill the Israelite babies? Throw them in the Nile River, right? Nile now becomes blood. Egypt's greatness as a civilization is wholly dependent on the life-giving waters of the Nile. Egypt would not exist in the place it does if it wouldn't be for the Nile. They settled there because of the resources of the Nile. It was literally their lifeblood, no pun intended. And finally, the Nile was personified and worshipped as a god in Egypt. They worshipped the Nile River. And God is saying to them, I'm God, it's not. It can't even, you know, prevent itself from being turned into blood because I'm the one that controls creation. Well, let's move on. Verse 22. The magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. By the way, this phrase secret arts speaks about things that are mysterious and covert. Can I just tell you, there are things that God doesn't want us to even get near when it comes to the darkness that's out there. That there is a, there's a mystery that needs to stay a mystery to God's people. Because the things that some of these people, even in our day now, dabble in and, and are involved in are extremely dangerous and dark and, and darker than you and I could ever imagine, but that's not up to us to investigate or get involved in. That's only going to bring harm to us. We stay as far away from that as we can because it's dark. It's dark. And speaking about dark, so is Pharaoh's heart. It remained hard, and he refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord predicted. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. He did not pay attention to this. 
all the Egyptians and begin to dug around the Nile for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the Nile. Well, in closing tonight, I want to about spend the next five minutes on this whole idea of this hardness of Pharaoh's heart and God hardening the heart because you're going to see that phrase predominantly for these next many chapters. It's an important concept because that's really what it comes down to, our heart, even today, you see. And I want to go back then to the beginning where it talks about, verse 3, God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Does that somehow absolve Pharaoh of his responsibility? No. The wording that is used here speaks about God confirming Pharaoh in the fact that his heart already was hard. In a sense, it's the concept of God removing his restraint and letting Pharaoh do the evil that he desires to do. Now think about that. That's pretty incredible. That God is saying here, up to this point, Pharaoh, I've actually restrained you from being even worse than what you've been up to this point. I'm going to take my restraint away and just let you have at it. Now, this is not something that happens solely to Pharaoh. This same concept happens today. Think of the passage in the book of Romans where God says that people can become so set in their hearts in turning from me and rebelling against me that I will give them over to whatever they want to do. It is God saying, I will remove whatever restraining power I have in their life. And think about that. That's why when God raptures the church, he's taking the last remaining restraint on earth out of the earth. Now, you and I think it's bad now, I'm telling you, that's part of why the tribulation is going to be unlike anything that's ever happened on earth. And Jesus even says it. Why? Because we don't realize that God is actually restraining evil right now. Wait till he takes his restraint completely off and there is no restraint anymore. You see. And that's exactly what he's saying to Pharaoh. Some other things I want to point out here, if you go up to verse 13. Pharaoh's heart became hard, unyielding. And notice one of the conditions of a hard heart. Hard hearts refuse to listen. Do you see that there, the connection between a hard heart and refusing to listen? We see that today. I've seen that in my own life. You know how I know at times that my heart is hard? It's because I don't want to listen to God or I don't want to listen to what someone else has to say that's for my benefit. I shut them off. I shut them down. That's what hard hearts do. They will not listen. Now, circle back to where we began. What, what did we start with? How important it is that we listen to the voice of God, that we hear the voice of God, that we follow the voice of God, that we're always open to the voice of God. Hard hearts do not listen. And it's a very scary thing to be in that place 
And that's why God doesn't even want us to start going down that road where our heart be, even begins to become hardened in any way. No, he wants us to keep a soft and tender and pliable heart so that when he works on us and when he speaks to us and when he sends other people into our life to speak to us, we are receptive to it and we don't shut it down because, again, hard hearts don't listen. Pharaoh wouldn't listen. Look at verse 14. Pharaoh's heart is hard. In the Hebrew, the word is stone, immovable. You and I use a phrase today that very much describes where Pharaoh is at, to be set in his way. We've heard that phrase. Oh, they're set in their way. That's a hardness. That's a stubbornness. That's an obstinacy. That's a refusal to move when God says we should move. That's a refusal to follow when God says go. And we see this hardness of heart. And the reason I wanted to end with this tonight is because out of all that we've talked about that may be applicable to us today as believers, this may be the most important. Making sure our heart is always right before the Lord. I mean, all those verses about guarding our heart and watching over our heart and all of that, God is saying, the heart is where it all starts. We've talked about how everything flows from the heart. It is the wellspring of our life. You know, our worship, and Nicole talks about this all the time, it has to come from the heart, not our voices, not our, you know, it, it comes, first of all, from our heart. So that's where we've got to keep our heart in a good place, in a place where it doesn't begin to get hardened because the danger is this. Like with Pharaoh, you harden your heart once, it becomes easier to harden it the second time. And then it gets more hard as you continue to go down. And then one final one, if you go over to verse 23, Pharaoh turned and went into his house. He did not pay any attention to what the Lord said through Moses. Again, up in verse 22, he refused to listen to Moses. A hard heart refuses to listen but i want you to pay attention to that phrase in verse 23 he did not pay any attention to this it literally in the hebrew means he had no place in his heart for what god said through moses had no place in his heart god wants to make sure that we always have a place in our heart for what god wants to put there and place there whether it's something he wants to say, something he wants us to do, something he wants us to act upon, that we always have room in our hearts for God and for others. And I want you to keep that phrase in mind. They, he had no place in his heart, and I want to end by having you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. I want you to see this parallel, and then I promise we'll close it out tonight. This is amazing because we're going from Old Testament to New Testament, and yet the principle, again, just like we've seen in other places, is the same. I want to begin reading in 2 Thessalonians 2.9. Paul's talking to the Thessalonians about the end of time and the arrival of the Antichrist. And notice what he says, beginning in 2 Thessalonians 2.9. The arrival of the lawless one will be by Satan's working with all kinds of miracles and signs and false wonders 
and with every kind of evil deception directed against those who are perishing. Now, don't miss this next phrase. (laughs) Because they found no place in their hearts for the truth so as to be saved. No place in their heart for the truth. What was Pharaoh's problem? Had no place in his heart for God's word. Consequently, God will send on them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. He's doing the same thing here that he did to Pharaoh. If you're determined to go down that way, then I will simply confirm you in that. I will remove my restraint and I will let you go because there's no room there for me. There's no room for my word. There's no room for me to move. You have hardened yourself and you are impenetrable. Impenetrable. May all of us take the message of Exodus 7 and make sure that we keep our hearts tender before the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that, Lord, you have been here with us and that you are with those folks who are watching from their homes tonight as well. You are so near, and you are speaking, and you are moving, and you are working, God. And I pray, Lord, that we may never become like Pharaoh, that we may never develop a hardened heart towards you and even towards others, God. May we always, through you and through your spirit and through your working in our life, maintain a a soft and tenderness to our heart, a pliability, Lord, that you can work with us that we can be moldable clay in your hands and not that which, Lord, always fights against you. Lord, even tonight, Lord, maybe as you're speaking to us, help us to say yes and not fight against, Lord, what you're saying to us tonight. And Lord, use this passages of Scripture, Lord, that happened many thousands of years ago to speak into our lives today. Make it real to us. Make it fresh to us, Lord, so that we can walk closer with you every day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. God bless. We'll see you next week.